This is Ken Lubin, the host and founder of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and welcome to this week's episode. I want to thank everyone that's been listening, and thank you for the comments and feedback. They're awesome and an incredible help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, as I believe it it is the best way to get to really know the guest. This episode's guest is Tyler Wren. Tyler started his 13-year professional cycling career during his senior year at Princeton University. He carries this distinction of being the domestic professional rider with the longest tenure on his team. With 12 years at Jameis Hoggins Berman, cycling taught Tyler that there is no limit to the work that can be done to become a better athlete. And he has applied this lesson to starting his own athletic event production business, Renegade Sports. And we'll jump into that. And then several, several years later, founding the Renegade Foundation. A little bit about Tiger's resume, race resume. He was a three-time collegiate national champion, U.S. team national member, two-time U.S. pro King of the Mountains winner, stage winner at the UCI Vuelta Chile, and a two-time winner of the Crusher and the Tusher in Utah. Tyler specializes in sta- specialized in stage races and climbing and also enjoyed gravel racing, Grand Fondo events, mountain biking, and cyclocross. But let's uh, dig into Tyler's background a little bit more in his event business. So, Tyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ken. This is exciting. It's awesome. No, and I think we got, event- we got introduced via Executive Athletes a while back, and I love what you're doing and what you're pulling off. And tell the listeners a little bit about who Tyler Wren is. Sure. Yeah, I think uh, you know you get you have such a great network. I think it was a fellow professional cyclist that introduced us, Tim Johnson. So that's awesome. Yeah, Tim's um, a great guy. Yeah, you know, I uh, yeah, I, I spent most of my adult life uh, racing bikes. Um, when I was at Princeton University, I was a finance major, and all my classmates were getting job offers on Wall Street and getting signing bonuses. And I, I uh, moved into my mom's basement after graduation and raced my bike. And I thought they were the, the fools because I was just doing something I was really passionate about. And I got to have this fantastic career where I traveled the world. I learned new languages. I um, was super fit. And, and I just, um, it was really motivating every day to just do what I could to be the fastest bike racer I could be. And I love that lifestyle. And then towards the end of my career, I started to you know, I started to be a little bit less passionate. I achieved all of the goals that I thought I could achieve. And I started to look towards what was next. And uh, that's when I started to think about being an entrepreneur and and founding Renegade Sports eventually. And uh, then I was really fortunate that my focus on that and my business became just as passionate as my focus on my professional racing. And uh, I'm still there today. You know, I remember one of my professors back when I was in college, he always told me this thing called the shower test. It's like, whatever you're thinking about when you're taking your shower in the morning, what's getting your wheels turning, what's getting you really excited uh, to, to attack the day, that's what you should be doing. I just, I check in with that a lot and I feel really great about um, focusing on building these inclusive uh, bicycle and running events, running, Renegade Sports. <clears throat> I love that, the shower test. I think a lot of people sit in the shower every morning full of anxiety and depression yeah. with the fact that they actually have to go do something they hate. So. For all the listeners, do the shower test. And if you're not excited or thinking about it or figuring out how to walk away from what you're doing, that's probably the thing to do. 
Well, there's good days and bad days with everything. <laughs> so I don't want to pretend that every day I'm excited about everything in my life. Uh, just uh, if you just watch the trends, that's what I've found is, is a useful tool. No, it's and, and it's true. And it's sort of probably the same thing as, you know, sort of following your gut or, or your gut feelings. What was it like, though, coming out of you know, coming out of an Ivy League and then going to professional cycling? That must have been a blast being in the professional peloton and I believe you guys race both in the U.S. domestically as well as overseas, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, it was it was fantastic. I mean, my first pro uh, season was my senior year, so I was doing my my Princeton senior thesis on the road in the hotel room at a major UCI race. It was the do do the weekend uh, after I got back, so do a hundred and ten mile stage with like Lance Armstrong and all those guys, and try to do some homework afterwards. I think I got a B plus on that uh, thesis and, you know, I, I was psyched about that. So um, I was really fortunate because my parents were very supportive of that. My mom was a professional ballerina. Um, so that was her major uh, pursuit. And, and, and then she started a ballet studio as well. So she kind of understood the importance of following your passions and they were very supportive. So that helped a lot. And I just, I just had such direction. I knew that's what I wanted to do and I had an opportunity. So I, so I went for it. <clears throat> No, that's great. How did you find your talent for cycling? Not a lot of people sort of, you know, turn pro at 21, 22 when they're in college. Yeah, it's good. So I was a runner in high school and, uh, you know, I tried out for the track team at Princeton and uh, I trained my ass off the summer before I got there, but I just got injured. I, you know, had a shin splints and all this crap that you get from running, I don't know, 80 miles a week or whatever it was. <laughs> And uh, so I bought a bike to stay in shape and um, the Princeton uh, bike club, um, they had a, they had a team and uh, they let me join them for a few rides and like immediately you just start, you know, you start riding 60 miles and seeing all these different places and finding new routes. And you just, um, it's just sort of a different experience than running. I pretty quickly fell in love with it and uh, did my first race that fall um, and really just left running behind pretty quickly and, and um, focus a lot of my energy on cycling. I mean, I, I had always been an athlete and I sort of finally found my sport. That had to be exciting too of, of walking in or, you know, riding in or getting on the bike and feeling that level of excellence and, and, and taking it to that, you know, having the ability to take it to the level that you took. Yeah, it almost didn't happen because the first, I remember the first ride I went on with the bike team at Princeton, I uh, ran into the back of the captain at the first stoplight and crashed <laughs> and <laughs> about a mile into my first ride with the team. So it was not a good start, but uh, he's one of my best friends now. So all's good. That's a great story. That's a great story. What was it like racing in Europe? What were the speeds like? Was it different than the U.S.? Talk to us a bit about the difference between racing in Europe and racing in the U.S. Yeah, so I... Um, so the, my first trip to Europe was um, right after I graduated. So 2003, um, when I was 22 years old, I went over there with the U.S. national team for, the for I think, a two- or three-month stint. Um, they had this house in Belgium where all the young riders could stay, and you go to a race every weekend all over Europe. You know, you just drive to Germany or wherever to do a big stage race. And um, that was quite an experience. You know, you go over there and um, – people just come up to you and they, they, they want to buy you a drink cause you're a cyclist. It's like they're, you're like a hero over there. It's a totally different experience. And, um, but man, the racing was, was, was a, another level. I mean, you just do these races in the U S and, um, the thing is over there, it's kind of like this 
almost blue collar, you know, working man's sport in Belgium. It's like, and it's just so ingrained in the national culture. Everyone there rides a bike, just like everyone in the U.S., you know, played Little League or whatever when they were younger. So the, the talent pool there is a smaller country, but they just, you know, they, they just have immense talent. So immediately uh, it's, it's a, another big challenge. But at that point in my life, I was just looking for the next thing, the next thing. And, and um, so I, I worked my ass off and I had some success over there. Wow, that had to be a blast, you know, of, of doing that. And being on a cycling team for 13 years or 12 years, that's, that's a long time. Yeah, it is. You know, cycling, I mean, it's just as much about relationships and, um, you know, providing value to the team on and off the bikes. You know, the cycling, pro cycling world is, is, is funded by sponsorships. So finding ways to be valuable to the sponsors, not just in winning bike races, but, you know, providing content for their site, being, you know, getting media training so you could speak to the, to the press and stuff like that. So I really tried to be an ambassador for the brands, just be valuable so I could just keep that relationship and keep that lifestyle going. No, that's perfect. Talk to us about a lot of people always wondering what, what training's like as a professional athlete. Talk to us about types of hours you would put in when you were doing it. Would you train via via wattage? Would you train via heart rate? Give us some of, you know, some of your thoughts because everyone's a little bit different. I mean, the best advice, you know, for that is this, uh, the Belgian cyclist, Eddie Merckx, he used to say, ride lots. That's it. <laughs> so it was a lot of time on the bike. Um, but obviously more structure than that. I mean, I, <sighs> the thing is being a professional athlete is a 24 hour a day job. So to be successful, you have to be thinking about your fitness all day long, everything you eat and drink, um, how much time you spend standing up you know, it's like you want to avoid going to the mall and walking around because it just makes you tired without actually giving you any training benefit, you know? So it's like um, some people take that to an extreme. I think you needed to have some balance so you could actually have an enjoyable life too, but um, it's always in the back of your mind. And uh, there'd be days where I'd be training five, six hours a day for days on end um, and then cycle it with a few rest days um, doing core work and other exercises off the bike, but a lot of time on the bike. And I worked with a coach and you use wattage and heart rates, um, and you have structured tra training and workouts and you check in with the coach. Um, it's really, when it's your full-time focus, um, you can put a lot into it and see a lot of gains. Now, would you talk about nutrition? Was there any sort of nutrition plans that you guys would follow? Is it fairly carbohydrate standard talk to us a little bit about you know that as well because there's so many different things out there nowadays sure yeah it's um you know i tried various things throughout my career in terms of working with a nutritionist sometimes our team had a nutritionist that we could consult and eventually whatever worked for me was like um keeping it pretty simple lots of carbohydrates before and after the workouts and during the workouts and then lean protein and roughage throughout the rest of the day was kind of my strategy. Um, you just offer, again, you're just constantly trying to think about eating healthily. Um, you, you avoid, you just, I just avoided unhealthy food because you just, uh, feel it and, you know, your, your, your body is just so fine tuned that, um, you could tell, you know, every pound, Oh, I feel about a pound heavier today. Oh, I feel right on, on target today. So you're just constantly monitoring it. And that informed, uh, my diet too. But, I mean, part, part of the great thing too, is that you could, uh, you could enjoy a reward. Um, I, I mean, 
at the end of a, of a hard ride. Um, and then another tricky thing about the nutrition is that sometimes during these races tour California, it's a seven day stage race, 140 miles a day. You got to eat 10, 12,000 calories a day. So you'd be force feeding yourself pasta in the morning before the start. Um, it was kind of miserable. Wow. But, yeah, uh, that's hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, plate of pasta. <clears throat> oh God, that's going to be tough. And then, yeah. and then think about trying to, the digestion piece of the whole oh, thing man. too. Yeah. <laughs> you can only imagine, you can yeah. only imagine, but let's shift gears a little bit and talk about renegade sports. What you're doing is super cool and tell the listeners a little bit about it. It's the, and for those who are unfamiliar, it's the farm to fork Fondo. And I did the Vermont one a few couple of years ago, and it was probably one of the coolest rides I've done. So give us some insight to what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. So um, I, I can kind of trace the genesis to, of this idea back to one day that I was, I was doing this bike ride in um, upstate New York where I was living at the time. And it was like this beautiful day. I was on this five hour ride. I was super fit. I was just hitting all my numbers in my training. I just felt fantastic. And I was like all alone, no cars on the road, no, no one with me. I'm like, you know, this is like the peak of my existence right now, but I'm just experiencing it completely alone. And just, I just said that like, you know, this is such a glorious feeling. And I think like, okay, how can I inspire other people? And like, I don't just share this passion that I have and this, this thing that I'm doing so passionately. So that was sort of the genesis for this idea of doing um, events and um, I'd seen throughout my career, all these cycling events, they come and go when the sponsors change and the sponsorship model is very um, chaotic and it just, it's not, it's not a great business model. So I, I knew that I wanted to do something that was relying on entry fees and something that included a lot of people. So I just had this idea um, to um, do this event where um, the other thing is I was living in upstate New York and I was in a rural town. So I started to know farmers and, and there was just this disconnect between farmers don't really like cyclists, um, but the cyclists care about their health and they care about supporting um, local initiatives. And the cyclists love to seek out these rural roads um, and farms get developed. So I just thought there was this natural connection to say, well, the cyclists, we have a responsibility if we want to enjoy these rural roads to support the landowners who are maintaining them. So that was the genesis behind this Farm to Fork Fondo um, event series, which is very inclusive. It supports farmland and it helps bring the cycling and the farming communities together. So that's where the idea came from. And we started it in New York and Vermont where you joined us. Um, at Joe DeSanto's place. And then we've expanded to, we had nine different locations last year. And uh, we're just, um, it's been a really popular concept and we've reached thousands of people, so. And how is, and what I liked about it too, is you're going to different farms, right? And each of the farms specializes in different things. One was blueberries, one was maple syrup, one was yeah. honey. What, what do the farmers think when you approach them to try to pull this off? And like you said, because farmers, you know, it can be an interesting crowd and so can cyclists. Yeah, it's great. You know, when I first started doing this, I was just knocking on farmers doors and, and really just doing my best. And I learned a lot, you know, I kind of speak their language a little bit more and I learn where they're coming from. I understand their point of view. And the thing is they're, they're very proud people. Um, and a lot of these farms, especially dairy farms, I mean, they just toil in anonymity and they sell their product to the milk truck and, um, they're really proud to bring people onto their farm and show them what they're doing. And they're great people. Um, and so this, the, and our, our participants, the cyclists by and large are great people too. So 
I just think that like when we just foster this uh, opportunity for us to get together, uh, um, great things have happened. So, and we encourage our participants to stop in and just, you know, one farmer actually told me, he's like, if someone would just say, thank you, thank you for being a farmer, I would feel 10 times better, you know? And, and uh, so we encourage our participants to do that. And um, yeah, it's been great. <clears throat> what do they say? No farms, no food. So we should be right. thanking all the farmers that are out there anyways. And, and I love what you said, talk about, you know, cyclists being health focused and, and being local. And I think right now too, even during this whole COVID thing, that's actually becoming more and more important. I've, I'm in sort of rural central Massachusetts, but I can tell you, you go to this farm to get this meat or you go to this farm to get this corn or you go to this farm to go do that stuff. And it, and it, and it's fun and it's passionate. And a lot of them now are sort of throwing breweries involved too. So it's yeah. <laughs> more than one that, you know, it's, it's just a great opportunity to get out there and really see what's happening. Yeah. And from the farmer's point of view, um, you know, farming never used to be about having a Facebook page and a farm stand and a website but they've had to diversify to survive. And so they're just doing their best. And they, they, a lot of them are, are putting a lot of risk into building new facilities, uh, building a brewery. Um, and people don't realize it's, it's a lot of financial risk and they're reinventing themselves. So the, the more that we can support those types of businesses that you see out there on the road, you see the new, the new brewery or the new cidery at that farm, please support it and tell them, hey, this is awesome what you're doing and I really just wanna support you. Because otherwise, if they just continue doing wholesale, Apple sales or whatever, it's um, a lot of farms are, are going under. So they're kind of forced, uh, their hand is forced a little bit and it's just a great thing to support. <clears throat> so you had mentioned last year, you had nine locations where give the listeners, um, you know, some idea of those locations because they're pretty cool spots. Yeah, we have. Um, so the, the Fondo bicycle events um, are our main um, offering and we've had those all the way up from Vermont and Maine Berkshires in Western Mass, Finger Lakes, Pennsylvania, Dutch country with the Amish farms, Shenandoah down in Virginia. Uh, we have had some down in North Carolina as well. So all of them down the East Coast is where we're operating right now. Um, and when we started doing this year, we were going to be doing a, a, a run as well, the Farm to Fork um, foodie run. Uh, but that has been postponed for this year. But that's coming soon whenever we're able to do that. <clears throat> So you guys have had the pivot and for the listeners we're chatting right now during this COVID thing, and hopefully it's done sooner than later, but talk to us about how you've pivoted and in your um, events and what you're, you know, what you're doing this summer. Yeah. So, you know, the, we, we had a thousand plus participants at some of our events uh, for the Fondos and um, these are all in rural areas and, we are destination events. We bring people in from 30 different states. So it's, it, it, um, we tried to, to work with our, you know, our, our relationships with these rural communities are sensitive as well. Um, and so we really wanted to preserve the long-term health of our events by trying to be proactive and responsible. Um, and also we listened to our participants. We sent out a survey about what would, what they would be feel comfortable about. So we just tried to make some data-driven decisions with participant survey financial analysis um, and sensitivity to the local partnerships. And we decided to postpone all of our mass Fondo events the next year. But uh, in, 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 instead of that, we're gonna be doing these 20 person small group tours um, in each of the locations so that people who do feel comfortable joining us are able to, and we're able to serve a lot of our customers. And we're gonna be doing 
many of these little groups and hoping we're going to serve um, over a thousand people this year, which is going to be a great way to get us to next year and keep everyone safe. So. And when you put one on, will it be multiple groups at one event? Is that how you pull it yeah, on? We're running, yeah, we're running three groups per weekend. So we okay. see each group has a different ride leader and follow vehicle and they're staggered so they don't interact with each other. Um, but, and then they have differing distances. So we're still patronizing all of our farm partners. Uh, we're still providing the farm to table meal at the end, um, but we're doing it in accordance with the guidelines of that state at the time. Um, so, but it, we're confident it's going to, it's a great way to just provide our experience, uh, and do it safely. And our events are not about this challenge. It's about the food and the farms. So people aren't missing out on the competition. Uh, our events are not races. So we're confident we can, we can make it through with this new format. And then you get some spouses. You put one spouse in one event and, yeah. and one ride, you put the other spouse in the other ride and everyone has a great day. Yeah, we get a lot of couples. Yeah. <laughs> what about, so talk to us about the Renegade Foundation. I wasn't familiar with that. So I'd love to learn a little bit more. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've, Renegade Sports has been a mission driven organization. We have a mission statement. You know, we are trying to, like I said, support these rural areas, support the farms, uh, motivate our participants to support the farms. So, we had always taken a portion of the registration fees and made donations to all of the local volunteer groups that came to volunteer at the event. And so I just thought that we could expand our um, charitable reach if we had created a foundation as well. So uh, two years ago, I founded the nonprofit Renegade Foundation and uh, I, I hired an executive director, her name is Sarah. She's done a great job and she was able to get us the 501c3 designation. So um, she's done a lot of good fundraising campaigns. So we are trying to raise more money via the foundation to give more support to these rural communities. Um, and we kind of modeled it after the Ironman Foundation in that they operate within the Ironman um, regions um, and try to amplify the, the giving that the events can do. So. And that's cool. I love the fact that you're giving back to the, the volunteers that are there because like you were saying, rural America and rural Vermont and Royal Ma and rural mass and, and everything else, they can, they need everything they can get it, especially right now. Yeah. These places need help and people don't really realize um, some of the t difficult situations uh, these, these rural areas are in. You can kind of see it when you go for a bike ride through New York and you see all these barns falling down um, but when we start to meet these farmers and understand their struggles, um, it's pretty motivating to try to, to help. So that's what we're trying to do. Right, right. Now, as you're still running these events and, uh, you know, Adam, I'm sure you're not riding your bike when you're there. Talk to us about how you're, are you training now? What are you doing in terms of that to stay active and try to pull this off? Because I'm sure, you know, like any of us right now, we, people say it's a downturn, but you're actually working harder and trying to be more innovative. Yeah. Um, well, in terms of my working out, I, you know, it, it was a struggle when I retired from cycling to get on my bike and be motivated. Uh, when my fitness was disappearing, it didn't going up that hill is <laughs> a lot harder than it used to be. <laughs> yep. And so I started to do other stuff, you know, I running, I went got back into running. Uh, I live right on Lake Champlain in Burlington. So I go for swims and kayaks. Uh, and I got into CrossFit and that was helpful. I did a couple of the Spartan races. I'm just trying to do different stuff, whatever seems to motivate me, and that seems to change. But the, the common thread is I try to work out every day. That's uh, I need that for my own mental health. Um, you know, there's been times where I where I didn't do that for a period of a few weeks, and that just um, it, it doesn't. I, I just lose all my productivity, and I just I just feel bad. So 
that's a cornerstone of my personal health. And, and, um, but I'm, I'm riding my bike more these days now that it's warm out. My, my minimum riding temperature used to be 15 degrees when I was training. Now it's like 50. <laughs> <laughs> I know here in new England up until like two weeks ago, it was snowing all yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And what was a mother's day weekend here, even outside of, even in Boston, but outside of Boston, we had, you know, two couple inches of snow and it's like, no way. I'm just doing the, the CrossFit thing in the gym. I don't need to go outside and go suffer on my bike or go run in the snow at this point. It's, I think as age, your temperature, as you age, your, your temperature rises of what your tolerance is and going out in the, you know, in the sucky weather. Totally. And it just helps you deal with the stress. I mean, like you said, during this time, um, as we're trying to reinvent our whole organization and make it through this crisis, uh, you know, having to lay off some of my staff and like, we had a well-oiled machine and now it's like all the wheels are off the wagon and we're, and I'm working um, every, every single day. I haven't taken a day off since March and you know, many long days. And if I'm not working out, I'm just going, it's like, there's just so much stress everywhere. I look, everything is a crisis. Everyone's upset. Um, so it's just, that, that's yeah. Going for a three hour bike ride these days. It's like, that's, that's the ticket. Well, it, it sort of resets yourself too. And what, what people don't know is sort of the health and fitness is of your body's your engine, right? And, and yep. if that's not running well, none of the other stuff is going to run well. But it's a lot of things that people neglect the most of, oh, I don't have time to work out or I don't have time to eat healthy. Yep. Well, if you don't have time to do that, then you're not being effective at your job either. Yeah. And I also find like I do some of my best thinking while I'm riding. Like I I never, like this stuff never leaves my head, you know, like, so when I'm out on my bike though, you get a little distracted and it's your secondary focus and you just start to see things a little more clearly. And sometimes I get back and I'm have a great idea and a new approach and a new motivation. So that works for me a lot. I just have to remember what I came up with because half yeah. the time they'll come up with great ideas and I come back and it's like, that? it's uh, that's why it's, it's that is a thing riding your bike. Cause I bring my phone and my, voice recorder app and then talk <laughs> into it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's almost, it's almost like you're in an altered state, right? It's what they call the, uh, either the zone or what is it today? It's flow, but yeah, that's when ideas come out and that's when great things happen. And it's also too, if you're doing it with someone else as well, right? It's you know, no longer are people really just going golfing and yeah. cause you don't really get in the flow state, but you go ride or work out for someone for an hour, hour and 10 minutes and go pretty hard. All of a sudden it's a different ball game. Totally. Yeah. Love it. But anyways, no, and Tyler, we're coming up here in a half an hour and thank you, f you know, for your time and your insight and what you're doing is super cool. Where can people find out more about what you're doing, what you're up to? Um, you know, I'd love to get, you know, some people coming your way to check out your events because they're super cool. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it's uh, farm to fork fitness.com. So that's uh, how we've diversified. It's uh, the Farm to Fork Fitness Adventures now with the running events, the fondos, the small group tours. Uh, we're just diversifying the whole Farm to Fork um, experience. So farm to forkfitness.com. Perfect, perfect. And what I'll do is I'll put the link on sort of the show notes that are here. And I love what you're doing, Tyler. So keep up the good work. And if anyone has any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to email me at kenandtheexecutiveathletes.com and I can get you in touch with Tyler as well. But Tyler, keep up the good work out there. Thanks. Hope we see you at another event uh, whenever we're able to hold one again. We'll definitely be there. And make sure everyone that's listening, subscribe to the podcast. If we're hopefully when this comes out, we're through this pandemic. If not, hang in there. And regardless, you can still go out and ride your bike and go for a run. 
just do it away from other people and get out in the woods somewhere. So awesome. Keep on listening. Have a great weekend.